This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, January 20th, 2023. I'm Mark Bolange. In the report this week, the UK government's attack on the right to strike, how the right wing in the US is attacking public education, the Labour Start report about union events and rapping. Yo, I've been hearing a lot of trash talk about unions saying these ain't the friends to be choosing out for themselves, not for others. This is Radio Labour. I'm Paul Novak. I'm the General Secretary of the TUC and I just wanted to give people an update on our campaign to protect the right to strike. The government of the United Kingdom has reacted to a wave of strikes in the country by passing legislation which would effectively end the right to strike. The legislation says that what it calls minimum service levels would have to be maintained. The bill requires employers to send notices seven, sometimes only four days before a strike. The employees who have been designated as part of the minimum service could be fired if they refuse to work. Here's Mr. Nowak, the General Secretary of the British Trades Union Congress, the TUC. The Tories managed to steamroller through the House of Commons at the second reading their proposals that will effectively remove the right to strike for hundreds of thousands of public sector workers. And be clear what this legislation would mean. It means that a worker who votes in an industrial action ballot, a lawful industrial action ballot, could vote to strike, their employer could force them to work, and if they don't, that worker could face the sack. Now, I think that's absolutely reprehensible. I don't think I'll have the support of the British public. And we are determined to fight tooth and nail to stop this law getting on the statute book. What can you do to show your support? First of all, go to Megaphone. Uh, we'll maybe get the, uh, the link uh, in this tweet. Go to Megaphone, sign the TUC's petition to defend the right to strike. Secondly, on February the 1st, show your support for our National, National Protect the Right to Strike Day. Events up and down the country, picket lines, hundreds of thousands of workers taking industrial action. Show your support uh, for them. And thirdly, if you're not in a union, join a union. If you are in a union, get active in the union. Join our campaign. Let's come together. Let's protect the right to strike. Let's stand up for public and private sector workers. Let's defeat this government. The government of Prime Minister Rishi Sonak said the legislation demanding minimum service levels was supported by international law. That was immediately refuted by the Director General of the International Labour Organization, Gilbert Humbo. And in an unusual move, the U.S. government also condemned the legislation. The strike minimum service bill is scheduled to be debated by the upper House of Lords. The unelected Lords could send it back to the House of Commons for amendment, but can't stop it from being passed by the government's majority. The petition site mentioned by Mr. Nowak is at megaphone.org.uk. There is a growing recognition in the United States that the continuing attack on public schools is adversely affecting the political discourse in the country. One of the problems is that right-wing forces are working hard to privatize the schools. I talked to Rob Weil about this. Mr. Weil is the Director of Field Programs for Education Issues at the American Federation of Teachers. The AFT represents 1.7 million teachers, education staff, and other workers. I asked Mr. Weil why and how right-wing conservative forces in the U.S. have been attacking the public school system. 
For years, conservatives' education policy has been driven by a desire to convert education from a public good to a for-profit commodity. And for a long time, they have tried to transform the world's expanding need for education into a profit motive. And what we see today is just another chapter or another set of tactics they're using in an effort to monetize student learning. This is not unique. It's not uh, something we haven't seen before, but it's been going on. And there's the, the tactics we see today are, are new, but the strategy or why they're doing it is not new. And to answer your question of how they're doing it, you have to start with, you have kind of a problem before anybody will con- consider your vision to convert to a for-profit education system. You must do what you can to convince the public that the current public good system has failed. So you attack, you create accountability systems that are not realistic. You strangle existing systems with inadequate budgets. You make sure your alternative schools are not subject to the same standards and funding is less of a question. I think I can give you a couple of examples that I'll start with. The schools right after the Hurricane Katrina in 2005, they replaced most of the public schools in New Orleans with charter schools. But one of the things that was not reported a lot about, everybody talked about the conversion, but they didn't talk about some of the other things that happened. And one of those was a tremendous increase in funding for those schools. Right after they opened those charter schools, they increased the funding by almost $1,400 per year per student, an extra $56 million to the schools. Well, the schools before the hurricane could have used that money too, but it wasn't in the best interest at the time. So I think that you have to understand there's a, there's a real strategy here. And you know what we're seeing today is a new version of this these disruptions, a new way of doing it, and that's the culture wars in schools, whether it's CRT, woke curriculum, or the attacks on the LGBTQ plus community. It's more of the same nonsense we saw with, you know, some of the work behind No Child Up Behind, Race to the Top, and the, what we call here in the United States, the teacher wards. It's disruption for disruption's sake. And sometimes it can be pretty crazy. I'm sure you guys have or may have not heard about the litter box hoax in American schools, which was just another example of just being crazy, saying that American schools were putting litter boxes in their schools for kids who identified as feline. It was nonsense, but so many of the conservatives picked up on it because anything they can do, any tech that they can use, any story they can used to move and undermine, you know, the public institutions and, and public institutions that are designed for the public good, they're going to do. I want to be very clear. I, I don't, our schools need improvement and they need to change and they need to do a better job preparing students for the future. But for profit being the driving force behind education is not the change we need in schools. So I don't want to say that our schools are good our, our schools are good as they are, and they don't need change. They do. But this effort is in completely the wrong direction. You mentioned charter schools. What are charter schools? Charter schools are public schools, but more and more of those public schools are 
schools that are chartered to be outside the public school, the traditional public schools in the United States, the original idea behind charter schools was innovation and trying to try new things in the public school setting, using public dollars to do it. But that's kind of lost its luster a little bit. Usually what we see now with charter schools, the biggest movement is they are still public schools, but they're run by private management companies. And more and more, we see a a huge growth in these private management companies opening charter schools, running charter schools, and for lack of a better way to say it, taking their cut off the top. And it it gets really kind of, uh, if you follow the money, it's, it's exactly what I was saying. It's trying to get a, a piece of the pie, for lack of a better way to say it. Some charter schools have, have done a good job, but we're seeing this trend in our charter school movement to more for-profit education. Has the underfunding of public education in the United States affected its political discourse? And if so, how? Well, absolutely. Um, American schools have been underfunded for decades. In fact, the, the term underfunded mandate is synonymous with U.S. schools. For example, back in 1975, they passed a law for special needs students called the Individuals with Disabilities Act, Education Act, and with a promise to provide 40% of the necessary funding to provide education to these very important students. Today, American schools get less than 15% of that money and they have to make up the rest. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the one-day national warning strike in France, as, for the first time in decades, all the major unions in that country united to mobilize in opposition to the Macron government's plan to increase the retirement age. Older workers looking at more years of work before they can comfortably retire were joined by hundreds of thousands of young workers concerned about the expected increase in unemployment that will result if millions are required to stay longer in the labor market. We also carried news of more state attacks on the labor movement in East Watini, police raids on and harassment of South Korean unions, and the striking, pardon the play on words, admission by a UK government minister that settling the rail strike in that country on the union's terms would cause less than the strike itself. But my favorite top story of the week came from Iran, where despite the threat of state persecution, oil workers in 10 cities held coordinated rallies on Thursday to demand improved safety standards. One story that has had a long, perhaps too long life in our news pages is the struggle for respect and respite that millions of healthcare workers around the globe are engaged in. This week saw symbolic sit-down strikes by Canadian nurses, while ambulance staff in the United Kingdom struck some of their duties, both actions being protests against inhuman workloads and low pay. Similar actions were held this week in Sweden, South Africa, France, Spain, Argentina, Zambia, and in Australia. On our Working Women page, you'll find the sad news of Myrtle Whitbuy's death. Comrade Whitbuy, a pioneering leader of the domestic worker movement, died on the 16th of January in Cape Town at age 75. 
Under South Africa's apartheid rule, she began to organize women in the garage of her employer and went on to become president of the first global union led by a woman. For 52 years, she advocated for the rights of domestic workers, keeping her presidency in both South Africa's National Union of Domestic Workers and the International Domestic Workers Federation throughout her struggle with a rare form of bone cancer. We here at Labor Start worked with Myrtle on a number of projects and remember her with great respect and affection. Stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week included the horrific story of how and why two workers died during a safety protest at a nickel smelter in Indonesia. The workers were killed by company police whilst demanding improved air quality and the provision of basic personal protective equipment. We also carried an analysis of the hazards faced by agricultural workers around the world, how and why Australian workers are dealing with heat as a workplace hazard in the age of global warming, and how German metal workers are supporting Tesla employees in the United States as they fight for a union and for safer working conditions. Our current photo of the week is from Peru, where unions are organizing in defense of democracy in the midst of political chaos and lethal police violence. Finally, we here at Labor Start would like to mark the death of Shane Enright. A longtime friend of and collaborator with Labor Start, Shane was for many years with the International Transport Workers Federation and then served as Amnesty International's global labor rights campaigner. Rest in power, Shane. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Michael Roos with A New Solidarity Forever. Yo, I've been hearing a lot of trash talk about unions Saying these ain't the friends to be choosing Out for themselves, not for others You might have heard unions ain't good for your health, brother Well, let me spit it for you, got something to say It's because of unions, we got an eight-hour workday This ain't no commercial break, my friend Unions are the peeps who brought you the weekend Probably never think about it, la-di-da-di Unions fought hard for your right to party they're out there to ease your tension With decent wages, health care, and pensions Now it's like unions blamed for bad weather But tell me what's wrong with solidarity forever I want to shout it on high and get it off my chest The story here is fighting for those who have less So when unions are bad guys in the propaganda war Think what they've done, where they stand, who they fight for And that's it, labor news you can use You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.